0: The words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. Last week I began by telling a story about a married couple who uh, went out for dinner for their fortieth wedding anniversary in a quiet and romantic restaurant. So, so, a whole lot of people here weren't here last week, so maybe I'll just tell it again. Uh, so, during the dinner, fairy came and said, for being such an exemplary married couple and for being loving to each other for all this time, I grant you each a wish. And the wife said, oh, well, I would love to go and travel the world with my darling. And so the magic wand was waved and they were uh, given round-the-world tickets on a cruise ship. And then the husband thought for a while and he said, well, I'm really sorry, my darling, but this is a pretty... A, once-in-a-lifetime moment, so my wish is that I'm married to a wife who's 30 years younger than me. And the wife and the, the fairy are pretty disappointed, but a wish is a wish, so she waved a wand and poof, he was 92 years old. <laughs> the moral of that story is that our desires betray us. To all intents and purposes, the husband looked like a wonderful, loving husband, but that one desire betrayed who he really was, and our desires betray who we really are. Despite that, if you're anything like me, you don't spend a lot of time thinking about your desires. They're not something that are right in front of us. Most of the time they operate at a pretty unconscious level. Shaping how we respond to the world without us ever really paying any attention to how they shape us. Well, we are in luck because it is Lent. And it seems to me that Lent is a good time to do just that. To pay attention to, to notice what it is that we desire and how we respond to those those desires. Are we like the husband or are we like the wife our Gospel reading this morning is the traditional First Sunday in Lent Gospel reading, the story of Jesus in the wilderness, and we hear a different version of that story every year on the First Sunday in Lent. It is the one reading you can guarantee that you will have on this Sunday as it's kind of like the Christmas story on Christmas Day, the two go together. We often talk about this time of Jesus in the wilderness being about Jesus being tempted. We often call it the temptation of Jesus, which in some ways kind of lessens what the story is about, but in some ways kind of gets the point. When we talk about being tempted, it's kind of like it has a moral edge to it. You know, Jesus is being tempted to be naughty. But actually, what is much more at stake is who Jesus is, his identity. Temptation is defined as a strong urge or desire to have or to do something, or something that causes a strong urge or desire to have or do something, and especially something that is bad, wrong, or unwise. The story we have just heard is a really important story in both in all three of this, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In Luke, in the version we just heard now, if we had, if you read, if you go home and read Luke's Gospel from the beginning to the end in one hit, which is how it's really supposed to be read, that's how the Gospels are supposed to be read. They're not supposed to be broken up into discrete little stories that we can learn on their own without actually paying any attention to where they sit in the story. If we read it from beginning to end, we would have just read the story of Jesus being baptised by John. And, why, and at the end of that story, a voice is heard which says, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. And then there's a little insert of his whakapapa, his genealogy, and then, and it it really feels like an insert. It feels like what we call the temptation of Jesus should come straight after that baptism story. There's the kind of, the coming of the Spirit on Jesus, and then the Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness. Those two stories belong to each other. And so everything that the devil does at that point is in relation to that baptism story. The baptism story where Jesus is identified as the Son of God. You are my beloved Son. And because of that, there are some people that suggest the word that we translate as if you are the Son of God. The word is "ice" in Greek can also be translated as since. And there's no reason why the devil would doubt that Jesus is who he is. That's not the question. The question is, how is Jesus going to live that out? What is that going to look like for the rest of his life in his ministry? And so these commentators suggest the word that should be used there is since. Since you are the Son of God, I'm going to give you these tests. I'm going to reveal who you really are. This is an identity session. His desires will betray him, one way or the other. Now, in these stories, we kind of read them and we think they're pretty large and uh, difficult. But actually, there are some writers who say that Jesus is tested in the same general categories that we are tested in every day. He is tested in these three areas. The first is food and comfort. The second is wealth and power. Having more. Jesus being offered the world to rule. For us, we're not offered the world to rule. We're offered a much smaller, smaller scale of things. But it's still the same test. And then the third area is prestige, status and honour. Feeling important. And if we take the time, and I hope you do during Lent, most of our desires come under those three headings, if not all of them. And I can tell you from my own experience all sorts of stories about, well, when I've eaten too much and maybe drunk too much, and I go home and felt crapulous which is a wonderful word that I discovered, discovered on Facebook this week. A list of 20 words, that old English words that went out of use and should be brought back. And I can't remember the other 19, but I remember that one, crackless. It's when you eat and drink too much, and that's how you feel at the end of it. But that's exactly it. I think that word will come back into use. I don't know how about, about you, but I've also thought about what it would be like to have more money. Thought about buy one lotto, how I would spend that money, and that's sometimes led to that longing to win lotto so I could spend money that way. Of course, you have to buy tickets of lotto to win, but it's one of my major failings in that longing. But nonetheless, it's there. It's exactly the same test that Jesus had. At a lower scale, he was off of the world, but it's the same test. It's the one that I face. It's the one that we face. And I know that I've been to events where I've been a speaker or I've done something there, and this little thought comes in where I wonder, I wonder if people think that I'm doing really well. I wonder if they think I'm the best speaker. This little voice at the back of your head just pops up. Now those are desires that happen all the time. Desires about food, about comfort, desires about wealth and power, desires about status and honour. They're always there, hanging around. The issue isn't whether or not we have those desires. We have them. It's what we do with them that is important. And so it's no coincidence that Jesus' tests come under those three headings, the same three headings that we face our desires in. And it's really interesting when you do reading around us how often those three headings come up in the literature, where our temptations, our desires get categorised under something that looks like those three headings. Those desires are universal and They just keep coming at us. We are all affected by them. What we do with them, then, is the important thing. Because what we do with them is what betrays us. The husband had the desire for a wife that was 30 years younger than him. What he did with that desire was what betrayed him. Just as what Jesus did with his tests betrayed him. Betrayed him to be truly the Son of God. Lent, like similar seasons in other religions like Ramadan for Islam, is built around the practices of praying, fasting and giving. In fact, if you come to the Ash Wednesday service at St Mary Immaculate on Wednesday night, those three headings were up on the PowerPoint for the entire service. Pray, fast, give. Why these? Because, well, I suspect the early church found that these were, and People in Islam and Buddhism and all sorts of other religions have discovered that they are the best ways of paying attention to our desires. Our desires around food and comfort, wealth and power, prestige, status and honour. And when we develop these practices of praying, fasting and giving, we develop some more life giving, love centred ways of responding to those desires we develop ways that we might join with Jesus in his response to those same desires. So we fast to pay attention to our desires for food. When we decide not to eat one food, or when we decide to not eat at all for a day, well, your desires for food are right in front of you. Your desires for that food or food in general. It's then that you face those desires and how you respond to them, rather than just eating When we give to charities, we face our own desires for more, to accumulate more, to have more, to have more in the bank. It teaches us to be generous. And when we pray, we learn humility. I wonder how often you've thought about praying as a way to humility. But really, when we pray, who are we praying to? The Most High, Omnipotent, Good Lord. Who are we in the light of that? How can you not learn humility? How can you not learn that actually we have no status or honour? We are nothing in comparison to that God, and yet we are beloved. We are God's people because God says so. And so in the act of praying, we learn humility. We learn who we truly are. I think sometimes when we get to Lent, we do these things, and we often actually don't talk about um, praying or giving very much, but they're there, they're in the Lenten practices, and we do talk about giving up something, but it feels to me often in the conversations that I've had with people over a long time, that we do that because it's just something we do. Oh, well, it's Lent, I'll give up chocolate. Without ever really thinking about why it is that we have these practices. Maybe giving up practices or giving up chocolate will make us a better person and be more worthy for God's love. Well, it won't. But maybe by giving up chocolate and noticing our desire for chocolate and how we respond to that desire, and then our desire for food and how we respond to that, that will make us a more love-centered person, which is the real point of Lent. So in the story of Jesus in the wilderness, we are offered a template of how to pay attention to our own desires and how to respond to those. We learn new ways of responding so that when our desires betray us and our desires will betray us, maybe more and more they will betray us To be people shaped by God's love. They might betray us to be children of God. Who respond to those desires out of God's love. And not our own need to meet those desires in our own terms. So may this Lent be a time where you pay attention to your desires. May you pay attention to how you respond to those desires. And may you be love-centered people.